Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by none other than Aquarium Co-op. If you're looking to set up a new tank or add fish to an existing aquarium, you need to head over to AquariumCoop.com and pick up the Quarantine Trio. What is the Quarantine Trio you speak of, Randy? Well, it's Ikex, Marison, and Paracleans. Together, these three meds are the insurance policy you need when you have fish coming from wholesalers, private hobbyists, online sales, basically wherever you're getting fish that you haven't bred yourself. Ikex is going to treat things like velvet, fungal issues, and of course, ick. Paracleanse is for internal tapeworms, gill and skin flukes, and hole in the head. And as a side note, this is one for sure uh, to use when you're bringing in wild-caught fish, like the ones Corey, Dean, and I brought back from Peru. Lastly, Marison is going to go after all the pathogenic bacteria that's associated with things like clamp fins, swollen eyes, heavier rapid breathing, and patchy coloration. Together, these are the meds that Aquarium Co-op uses to ensure our retail customers take home fish in the best possible condition and health. Over the years, this medication combo has treated tens of thousands of fish, and it also gives us the confidence to say that the trio is fish, shrimp, and snail safe. Every Aquarius needs to have the quarantine trio on hand, so head over to Aquarium Co-op, that's AquariumCoop.com, and order yours today. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. My guest today is three-time now guest and friend of the podcast, Mr. Joe Ferdenzi. Um, if you want the full bio on Joe, you can go back to episode seven in the Wayback Podcast Time Machine um, and also episode 15, which was very special, and that was recorded uh, in his fish room where Mr. Ferdenzi is right now. So, Joe, welcome back to the podcast. How have you been, sir? I'm good. I'm good, Randy. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I've now been uh, fortunate enough to meet you several times in person, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I think you're you're doing a great thing with these podcasts, and I, I so much enjoy them. As you know, I'm a big fan, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we have our we have our friendship, but uh, you know, you are exactly the kind of person that uh, I I want to bring. Not that I don't want to bring the other guests on, but you in particular. Uh, you're 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 kind in this hobby in that you are incredibly active in the organized hobby. Um, you have you have a wealth of fish collecting experience. But if people outside of maybe one or two club presentations that were recorded and are very very grainy that you get that you gave to like various clubs around uh, the East Coast. You know, the public really wouldn't know about you unless they know Joe Ferdenzi in your local East Coast club scene. But you you're just one of these people that has so much to share and you've done so much yeah. and you're yeah, doing yeah. so much in the hobby. Like, you know, you, <laughs> you are absolutely somebody that, you know, I want to have on the podcast over and over again until I until I just squeeze every bit of uh, information <laughs> and experience out of you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, and I will say, so you're um, the uh, the albino bristle nose that you sent me. Like, what was like two years ago now? Those things yeah. uh, doing doing very very well. And I actually Good. dropped off. Um, I dropped off another another batch of fry at uh, at Aquarium Co-op, so people can pick those up there. But there, those uh, those albinos are gorgeous and uh, producing yeah. producing very very well. Isn't so. that amazing? I mean, I I never dreamt that they would that I would ever own a catfish that was as easy to breed as cockroaches. Okay. <laughs> My God, that uh, was a, that was an eye-opening experience, and mine, like yours, you know, are still going strong. And the thing that I love about a fish like that uh, is that every pet shop, every uh, every hobbyist, 
can use them. You know, uh, it, it, I, as you know, I don't sell fish, but I, I donate fish to aquarium societies, people who visit my fish room, and a couple of guys who have, you know, local fish stores who are buddies of mine. And when I bring them these uh, uh, albino bushy noses, they're always happy. <laughs> yeah, I just started a, um, a colony group uh, for breeding of celestial pearl danios. And one of the things oh, I noticed nice. that I needed, I took one of my bristlenose plecos, uh, a very, very small one, maybe like uh, three quarters of an inch, so fa- a fairly small juvenile, and I put it in that right. tank. And so every, basically every one of my tanks, if I'm growing out angelfish or discus, uh, guppies, pretty much every one of my tanks has a bristlenose in it. And they're just such a, uh, they're, they're such a fantastic fish. And it's really, it's really nice to be able to breed, to, to enjoy them, to see the life creation, but to know that they're always going to have a, a home, right? It's not like yeah. this fish that you're going to produce 300 of and nobody's ever going to want them, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's like when I was breeding many, many years ago, red terrors, hmm. gorgeous fish, gorgeous fish. Couldn't give them away. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in New York City, Randy. You say red terror, 10 to 12-inch fish, and people just <laughs> run from you like like you've got a, a plague, okay? So, yeah, no, I know. I know. It's, it's nice to be able to breed a fish you like and that, that is useful to other people and that other people can use. And, you know, it's a great combo. And I guess that's kind of like uh, as a segue – that's the story behind my Endler's Live Bears. Um, yeah, so take it away. Yeah, which is, you know, so I hope this story is, of you know, of interest to you and your listeners. And it's quite a story, actually. Uh, I never thought I'd be telling this story. Um, and you just have to kind of sit back, Randy, and, and, and bear with me as I tell this story. Because uh, it's only years later that I realized what what I've come into. Uh, and I'll, I'll briefly tell you a little bit about the background of these Endler's Live Bearers and how I came to possess them and why I think I've got something a little bit unique on my hands. And then if we have time at the end, I'll tell you how I maintain them so your listeners can get something from that. But the story basically starts in 1975 when Dr. John Endler, he's doing field work. He's in the field. He's an evolutionary biologist or something along those lines who specializes in figuring out why certain fish uh, develop in a certain way or other organisms develop in a certain way. So he's doing field work in Northeast Venezuela on the coast. And he's in a place called Laguna de los Patos. And he collects a fish, which he has, he thinks looks like a guppy, but he's, he's sufficiently knowledgeable that he thinks maybe it's not a guppy. Maybe it's something else. So what does he do? He sends a bunch of specimens alive to a person who was then one of the foremost experts in the world in postiliate fishes. Dr. Don Rosen, who worked at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, okay, thinking that if this is a new species, Dr. Rosen, he's the man who will be able to say whether they are and describe them scientifically. So that's 1975. 
the shipment from Laguna de los Patos arrives in New York City. Now we fast forward to 1992. 1992, I'm the president of the Greater City Aquarium Society, which was founded in 1922. It's a very established club, and it always attracted a lot of great hobbyists. And I would say either in the 89, 90, something like that, a guy joins our club by the name of Dominic Isla. Now, Dominic was Cuban-born, and he was really into live bearers, but wild live bearers. He had no interest in hyphen, sore tails, red and blue platies, or anything like that. Uh, he was strictly interested in wild live bearers. And of course, there's quite a few that come from the island of Cuba. Um, so the first time I met him, you know, he's into these wild live bearers. And I remember at the time he lived in Manhattan. I remember going to his apartment there that he was renting and he had a small apartment and he had a rack of tanks. Okay. And so over time we became friendly. He visited my house and even though uh, there wasn't a huge demand for all these wild live bearers in the club, you know, we became friends and I appreciated the fact that he was breeding them and he would donate them to the club uh, and everything like that. So um, in around 1992, he moved from Manhattan to Queens, which is a borough of New York City and is the borough where the Greater City of Cram Society holds its monthly meetings. And I lived in Queens at the time. And uh, so Dominic says to me, uh, Joe, I just, you know, moved into this apartment building in Sunnyside, which is a neighborhood in Queens. And, uh, you know, in exchange for me doing uh, work in the building like a super, like a superintendent, the, the real superintendent of the building is allowing me to use the basement for my fish room. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so he says, so why don't you come over and visit one time? Now, you have to understand, Dominic was a very kind of eccentric guy. You know, he had a lot of different uh, jobs, but no, nothing that I would call a steady profession of any sort, right? So, but he was very, very nice and he was very gracious. And so I said to him, well, sure, I'd love to come see your fish room. You know, I love seeing fish. Picture what happens next. It's, it's a summer evening. It's late. It's dark out. And I go visit him for the first time at this apartment in Sunnyside. And he says, OK, Joe, come on down, come down to the basement. So, you know, I, I don't know if you know what apartment buildings are like in Queens, you know. So we're going down this and go to this basement door and he, it creaks open. And I look inside. And it was like looking at a at a mad scientist's fish room, okay? Because <laughs> they were ready. There were tanks everywhere, okay? All sorts of odd sizes uh, resting on, you know, all kinds of different stands, plastic containers all over the place, resting on top of other things, <laughs> uh, things gurgling everywhere. And because he was on a limited budget, what he was using for lights, he was buying these inexpensive 
spotlights with clamps, and he had those all over the place. So the effect, the lighting effect was really, was like Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory, <laughs> okay? But just to show you what a great aquarist he was, for he had one tank. It must have been, I don't know, a 60 or something tall, and he had no cover on it. And there was a giant spotlight focused on an Amazon sort plant that, Randy, without exaggeration, this sort plant was three and a half feet tall. Wow. I mean, it was the biggest sort plant I had ever seen in a hobbyist fish room. Okay, you got to picture this thing. Three and a half feet tall under a, a, a an incandescent bulb from a clamped on, you know, 299 spotlight, <laughs> you know? And people worry about, you know, they don't have the right lighting spectrum. You know, people who grow plants. Uh, please, Dominic, he had a an incandescent spotlight. He had a three and a half foot tall, uh, whatever. Uh, and trust me, he didn't have money for CO2 injections or anything like that. But anyway, so I was like flabbergasted because he had gone from this apartment where he maybe had 10 tanks to this basement fish room that had to have at least 40, okay, or more. So then he says, uh, so take a look, Joe. Look, take a look at all, all the fish, you know. So I start looking at the tanks and, you know, quite frankly, and I don't want to insult anybody who's into wildlife bears because I have a bunch of them myself. But in terms of coloration, they're not exactly the, the most uh, colorful branch of the aquarium family. Certainly when you try to compare them to killifish or tetras or whatever. But, you know, they're attractive, but they're not exactly the most brightly colored things in the world, the, the, the wild ones anyway. So I start looking in the tanks, you know, and I look at one tank and there's a small silver fish with one black dot. And I look at the next tank, there's another silver fish with two black dots and on and on and on until I get to this tank. And I see I, what at first looks like wild guppies, right? But as I look at it, I'm saying to myself, those look like wild guppies, but every male is identical. Now, I've seen a lot of wild guppies in my day. And the thing is, the males, you know, they're not all exactly the same. These fish, the males, I'm telling you, at first blush, they look, each male looked identical to the other. And they were very pretty. I mean, they had uh, this emerald green spot and this black spot and a little red. So I said to Dominic, I said, Dominic, uh, what kind of guppies are these? <laughs> I should never have said that because he said, those are not guppies. Oops. Oops. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> well, what are they, Dominic? He said, those are Endler's live bearer. First time I had ever heard that word or that description of a fish. Endler's live bearer. Really, Dominic? What's the story with these? And he said, well, I got them from Klaus Kalman. Now, Klaus Kalman is Dr. Klaus Kalman, who was a uh, another uh, uh, biologist who worked at the New York Aquarium. Okay. And Dr. Kalman was very well known going way back to the 60s. 60s, very well known for his work with cladifish, which includes, you know, the Xiphophorus uh, genera, you know, including sword tails. 
And apparently, he and Dominic had become uh, friends because of Dominic's interest in wild live bearers. And Dr. Kalman had, you know, a laboratory at the New York Aquarium where he experimented with the genetics and other things uh, involving platyfish, which include the swordtails. So I, so he said that's where he got them from, from Dr. Kalman. Now, Dr. Kalman, by the way, just for point of information, there's a, there's a swordtail named after him, hmm. Cyphophorus Kalmani, which I have, okay? And he also, in the 60s, he wrote a booklet called Enjoy Your Platies and Swordtails, which was part of the, um, the Pet Library series, which in the 60s, especially for kids like me, was the, the series to, to buy because the booklets were all beautiful, you know, terrific quality paper, beautiful color photographs written by some of the top people in the hobby. And they got Dr. Kalman to write the one on platies and swordtails, in fact. So, uh, so when, when Dominic said, uh, told me uh, that these were endless live bears, the next thing out of his mouth was, would you like some? <laughs> and I, you know, that's like asking if the Pope is Catholic, you know? <laughs> like, would I watch them? Of course, uh, you know? I mean, I'd never seen these fish before. They were so unusual, small, but colorful. So, um, so that's when I first got my Endler's Live Bears was in 1992. I remember it because that it was that year, because that was the year greater city was celebrating its 70th anniversary so we had a big show that year at the queen's botanical garden and dr Kalman came to the show and in fact i have a photograph in my personal you know archives i have a photograph of dominic standing next to dr Kalman. you know um so uh so okay so i i put the fish in a 10 gallon tank um and thought nothing of it. Of course, they bred like guppies. And so there were a lot of them. And over time, I started bringing them into club auctions, giving them to friends of mine. Um, and before I know it, the years rolled on and I still have them. So I have this population that came from, you know, as Dominic told me, from Laguna de los Patos. I've had them since 1992. Wow. And here's the other thing, okay, just to show you what a nut job I am, okay? I told you I've given away a lot of the fish, right, over the years. But I'm such a nut job about keeping, having, about keeping these things uh, pure and unadulterated that, and also being able to tell someone that I know where these fish came from that even if I give a friend of mine the fish and he says to me one day, Joe, I've read a lot of them. Would you like some back? The answer is always no. I never take fish back from anybody. Not because I don't trust them, because I do trust them, that they kept them pure, didn't cross them with guppies or something like that. But if somebody comes to my house and sees, sees these endlers and is interested in their background, I don't want to have to explain that, you know, I, I took back fish from Mark, from John, from Warren, 
from this guy, from that guy, people they don't know from a hole in the wall, you know? So here's the amazing thing about them. So I've been keeping them since 1992. I've never introduced any new fish other than the ones I got from Dominic. I have them split up into two 10-gallon tanks now. Uh, and the amazing thing about them is that uh, I never see a deformed fish. I was, that was, was going to be my, uh, one of my first questions was, what have you experienced? What have you witnessed as far as deformities? And, and apparently none. <laughs> none. Wow. None. It's amazing. I, and believe me, I've kept wild guppies. I've got a, a population of wild guppies, a tank of them that I'm looking at right now as I talk to you. And there's a couple of deformed guppies in there, okay? Uh, and, and those are only two years old, that population of wild guppies. Uh, with these anglers, what's amazing about them is that uh, there is, uh, they're just, I mean, the only thing I regret is that I didn't take a photograph of them, Randy, the day I got them from Dominic, you know? But, of course, back then we didn't have iPhones or anything like that. Taking photographs was a pain in the neck. So I never so I never got around to doing it. That's the only thing I regret. But here, here's what's happened recently that's made me think that I – that maybe nobody else has this population the way it is, you know, in my fish tank because here's what happened. One day, I get an email from some gentleman I never heard of, and he tells he he tells me that he recently went to a uh, a North Jersey Aquarium Society meeting in the hope of getting some N capital N is in Nancy class endlers, uh, but nobody had endlers. And then he started asking around, and somebody said to him. Oh, you're interested in endlers? Oh, then you got to get a hold of Joe Fredenzi. So somehow this guy tracked me down and sent me this email. And I remember my first reaction was, what the hell is an N-class endler? I never heard of such a thing. I didn't even know they had classes for endlers, you know? So I said to him, I don't know what you mean by an N-class endler, but here's the story behind my endlers, you know? So then he, he writes me back and he says, yes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. The original wild strain, you know, because as you know, by now, the Japanese especially have produced all these different strains of endlers, these uh, unbelievable things. You know, they're fantastic looking, but they're not the original strain. You know, they've been selectively bred or crossed with guppies. I don't know. Um, so I said to the guy, so the guy wanted to know how much I wanted for them. And I said, well, I don't sell fish. I said, uh, and you're all the way in New Jersey. You know, uh, I mean, listen, you're welcome to come to my house if you really want some. And, uh, the, and the guy apparently wanted them so bad. He was willing to travel all the way from New Jersey to Long Island, which for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with the tri-state area should know, going from New Jersey to Long Island is living hell. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's living hell to go from New Jersey to Long Island. So I figured this guy really wanted these fish really bad. Okay. So he came over. He was a very nice young man. He brought his little six-year-old boy, cute as a button. And uh, 
he he was gracious enough to bring me a, a some liqueur from his home country, and and a box of chocolates, which was very nice of him, you know. Uh, and he takes these, you know, Endlers home. Okay, fast forward to earlier this year, and again, I I get this email from a guy out on the West Coast, and he introduces himself, and he starts telling me that he bought. Endlers online from this guy in New Jersey who says he got them from me, <laughs> right? Okay. So when the guy told him my story, the guy apparently, this guy out on the West Coast is apparently an Endler expert, okay? he This guy, because we subsequently exchanged a bunch of emails, and you can tell this guy knows everything there is to know about Endlers and all the hybrids. I mean, this guy is really, really into it. So um, we exchanged a couple of text messages and everything. And uh, he says to me, you know, I think you might have the only extant original population from the Laguna de los Patos in, in all of America. And I was like, what? Really? Me? Just me? You think so? Now, I, there's probably some other people out there, I don't know, who, who have it. But uh, I do. when I started to think about it, Randy, I started to say to myself, you know, 28 years, that is a long time. Yeah. Have I had one I had, fish. I did the math a couple times in my head. I'm like, all right, 2020 right now, 1992. Yeah, that's 28 years. That is insane, Joe. I don't know if anybody else, like who else can lay a claim to any fish from starting with one population and keeping it alive and going 28 years. Who knows how many countless generations that is. I mean, we could probably right. guess, right? We could probably say what? Yeah. It, 24, 24 times a year they're going to kick out offspring? Maybe yeah, more I than don't that, know. 36? I, I mean, that's insane. That, that is that is something. And I never really thought about it until these guys who contacted me by email started to make a big deal about it, right? <laughs> so, so then what I decided to do was I said, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe I, maybe I do have something special on my hands and you know what I decided to do, Randy? I decided to find Professor Endler. Mm. So I, I like went this. on the internet and I started searching for him. So, so okay, so just to recap real quick. So you're so yeah. you're talking about finding Dr. Endler, uh, but the original strain to make sure I have the story right were collected by Dr. Endler from Laguna or Lago de uh, Pato. Right, uh, like yeah, Laguna Duck. de los Patos. So, like yes. Duck Lake, Laguna right? I, I think that's Duck yeah. Lake. So, so Duck Lake. He then sends him to his buddy yes. Klaus or Klausman. No, Klaus. Don Rosen. Don oh, Rosen. Rosen. Okay, and then Rosen. Well, this is where I'm going to fill in the gap. Okay. Between Doctor Rosen and Doctor Kalman, and it, I was able to fill in the gap by con finding Doctor Endler. Who is still who is still alive piece. today? Today, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, the missing piece of the puzzle about <laughs> how they went from Don Rosen to Doctor Common, and and a couple of other things. So, I just decided let me reach out. Let me see if I can find him. Okay. And thanks to the beauty of the internet, 
I found him. He's teaching in Australia. He's at a university in Australia, of all places. Okay. So I said, okay, what have I got to lose? I'll contact him. He, I'm sure he's never heard of me. I'm not a famous doctor or biologist or anybody. I'm not well known at all, you know, but we'll see what, what's the worst that can happen. So I wrote to him, I sent him an email and I told him the story behind my anglers. And, uh, I asked him a few questions in this email and let me tell you something. What a gracious guy he is. Very, very gracious person. He answered every one of my questions. Then he also uh, sent me a program he had uh, put together on Engler's Live Bearer, and he shared that with me. And he kept answering my questions. And then I said to him, "Listen, would you mind if I have if I have some photographs of my Engler's? Would you take a look at them and tell me what you think?" So I had my my good buddy. Uh, Dr. Richard Pierce, who you've had on your yeah, podcast. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, uh, Rich is a great guy. And on top of everything else, he's a terrific photographer. Because I suck. Okay? <laughs> so I didn't want to send my putrid uh, photos to a world-renowned person like Dr. Edler. So I arranged at, at one of the NECs to have... Uh, 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 Rich Pierce take photos of my Endlers. So once I had those, I was able to send them to Dr. Endler and he said to me, yeah, those look like the fish I collected, wow. you know? And, um, you know, and he, and I, I did tell him by the way, cause you know, I don't, I, not that he, like I said, he was the most gracious person in the world. Imagine he's this you know, big time professor and he's answering questions from a nobody like me, right? And email after email, he's answering all my questions. But and I told him, I said, listen, Professor Engler, I just want you to know I don't sell fish. So I'm not doing this so that I can get like your stamp of approval so I can up the price, okay, <laughs> on my endlers. I just want to know if you think, you know, these fish still look like the ones you collected in Laguna de los Patos. Now, it was from him that I learned, it was from him that I learned that he had first given the fish to Don Rosen. And unfortunately, Dr. Rosen passed away before he had a chance to describe them. Mm. But before Dr. Rosen passed away, he gave some to Dr. Kalman. And I learned that from Dr. Endler, okay, that he had given them to Dr. Coleman. So my fish, now I was able to trace their lineage. They came from Dr. Endler to Dr. Rosen to Dr. Coleman to Dominic Isla, who then gave them to the schlub that we're talking <laughs> to right now, okay? Uh. <laughs> and now Dominic unfortunately after after a number of years he moved out to colorado and he died at a very young age mm. so unfortunately my 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 buddy is not alive anymore uh but a couple of years ago i did write a story that was published in you know greater cities magazine modern aquarium 
I, I did write a story uh, and I called it Dominic Isla's Legacy, the legacy of Dominic Isla, which is my Endler's Live Bearers. So even though Dominic isn't around anymore, I'm very proud to say I've been able to keep his fish going. That's awesome. You know, the fish that he gave me for so many years. And uh, by the way, if anybody wants to see a picture, a photograph of Doc, of uh, Dominic standing next to Dr. Kalman, all they have to do, uh, Randy, is go into Google and look up Greater City Aquarium Society. You know, we have a website. And when you go to the website, there's a banner that says Modern Aquarium. And that's our magazine that we publish every month. And it's a beautiful magazine. But here's the beauty of it. It's available online. Once you click on the banner, you can read every single issue, page by page, in color. And if you want to see the photograph or the read the story about Dominic, it's in the October 2012 issue of Modern Aquarium. So, October 2012. So I'm here. I'm here right now, October 2012, and I'll have a I'll have a direct link to this in the show notes, so people can um, so people can see it. And I need to apparently allow all cookies. 34 pages. Let's find out what page we're on. Da da da. Ah, there we go. The legacy of Dominic Isla Endler's live bear. And so if we zoom in on this picture right here. Dominic Isla on the left and Dr. Klaus Kalman on the right at the Greater City 1992 show. Photo by none other than Mr. Joseph Ferdenzi. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so so anyway, that, that and that's generally a good a great resource, by the way, for your listeners just to know, because in Modern Aquarium, we publish a lot of interesting articles that would never see the light of day in in, you know, bigger magazines and uh, including you know, I write a lot of little historical uh, things, articles, primarily having to do with the hobby in New York City. But some of your readers might find them interesting. But I think it's great that our editor and our staff have been able to put Modern Aquarium online for anybody, you know, free. No, this is, you know. this is, this is fantastic. Yeah. So everybody, uh, I'll have a, a direct link to modern aquarium, October, 2012 issue, and it's on page 10, uh, or no page 11. Uh, so, and I'll have a, I'll have a little note so people can go in and read this full story, see the picture. Uh, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, continue to look at modern aquarium because this is a very, very well done, um, you know, club publication for a magazine. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to do with the production end of it, but the our people who put it together it's an award-winning magazine i mean it is a real magazine uh, they do a phenomenal job uh but anyway getting back to the endlers because here's the postscript to the story in uh talking uh via or you know exchanging emails with professor endler and and again he was generous enough to share his program with me and you know even gave me permission to use slides from it and everything <clears throat> the sad part is, based on field observations that uh, people in the field have reported back to him on and uh, images he's seen of Laguna de los Patos, Dr. Endler believes that he says, Joe, he says, that habitat has been so altered over the years. Because don't forget, 1975 to, let's say, 2015, when, when he made these observations. 
What, what is that? That's like 40 years, right? He said the habitat has been so altered, he doesn't even recognize it anymore. Wow. Okay? That's how bad. And he does not believe, based on field reports he's gotten and collections that others have made, that that population of Endler's live bear is even extant anymore. Wow. That's the sad part. If that's true, you know, then those of us who have this population and have been able to keep it and maintain it in, in its pure form, I, I think we do have something worth keeping, you know, into the future, which is why I'm happy over the years that, you know, I, I've given it to other people and brought it to club auctions and things like that. And, and you know, so there are, I think, at least in the tri-state area, quite a few people who are keeping this fish. Joe, for the uh, for the the original collection point, it looks like there's a. I'm doing Google Maps right now. There's a yes. couple different Laguna de los Patos. It was Venezuela, right? Yeah, this um, is in the northeast corner. Cumana. I forgot what. Cumana. I forgot what. Yes, yes, near yeah. there. Yes. Yeah, so this yes. is like this is like really right outside of an urban area. So I could easily see like this isn't some you know way out in the in the middle of nowhere. I mean, maybe maybe at the time when he did the original collection, but I mean, this is like kind of. Um, I mean, it's kind of like surrounded by the city. It has just kind of grown and encroached around it. So I would have to imagine that, um, you know, the human pressures on this lake have definitely ch- changed what it was like from, what, the 70s is right. when uh, Dr. Endler was yes, there? right. Yeah. 75. And I also think if I remember what he told me accurately, you can see from looking at that map, basically the only thing that separates the Laguna de los Patos from the, the Caribbean or the ocean is like a little sand barrier or something, some kind of, you know, uh, which I think they've had storms and things that have, um, you know, sort of wiped out some of that sand barrier that kept the Laguna pristine. I don't know. Some some environmental things have happened besides the the man-made alterations. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like a city block. It's like a city block width of... What, what, what is the geological term for that? Like an isthmus? An isthmus? Yeah. I, maybe yeah, something like that. But yeah, it's not something like that. It's it's not yeah. much at all. Um this yeah. reminds me of this reminds me of like the Philly airport kind of. There's like kind of lagoony um lagoon marsh by the Philly airport. Am I thinking of a different airport? But either way, either way, yeah, this is not this is not out in the middle of nowhere. This is uh this is right next to a city, yeah. so that all makes sense. Um right. yeah, so then the Yeah, car- it's on the coast. Well, it's on the coast, like you said, it's not in the hinterland, you know. Yeah. So any storms that come in off the ocean, hurricane or whatever, I, I don't know if Venezuela gets hit by hurricanes, but it, it would impact that Laguna. Well, if, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would be more than happy, and I hope you know this, I'd be more than happy to pay uh, shipping, freight, whatever it is, your time, <laughs> packaging efforts. If you want to send me, if you want to send me out some, I'll start breeding some up in the fish room and just letting them, you know, letting, uh, right. letting Dominic's legacy just continue to go. And I don't, you know, I don't sell fish, so I'll just, uh, yes. take, well, when we start meeting again and maybe there's some, yes. uh, creative ways I can, I can get them to club members. Cause this is like a quasi, Good. quasi cares okay. fish. And, um, I'm all for that. Yeah. To, deal. Yeah. That's deal. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that way uh, we'll have some Seattle, some Seattle representation for this population. <laughs> <laughs> all, be, yeah, all because so, uh, you answered a crazy guy's uh, message a couple years ago to do a podcast, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> happy to have been there at the beginning, you know, really happy to have been there at the beginning. I, 
I've seen you in action uh, uh, when you interviewed Rosario Lacorte at the 2018 Aquatic Experience, you know, and you're a very gracious person and, and people warm up to you. And, you know, uh, I'm always happy to be on your show or, <laughs> or have or recommend people f- to you because I know they'll have a good time talking to you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Joe. Has this population, so in 28 years, has there ever been a close call? Was there like the great big Long Island storm of, you know, 03? Uh, because, I mean, you guys get pounded by polar, vor- polar vortexes. Yeah. And, I mean, there's just stuff know, that I happens. Know, I know. No, you know what? I, I'm very fortunate because um, I, as, as you know, because I, I was very, ha- very, very happy a couple of years ago when you visited me. You, you know, my my fish room, all my tanks are in my basement, mm-hmm. right? And I'm very, very lucky. I have a, a tremendously well-insulated basement. So the worst situation I had was the year that Hurricane Sandy mm. hit, which was, what year was that? 20, oh God, I, don't, I forget what year, it was 12, 2012, 2014, I don't know. Something along those lines, right? 2016. I don't remember anymore now. It's terrible. I, I remember when I got these fish in 1992, but I can't 2012. remember a damn hurricane. 2012. <laughs> 2012. Okay. So our power was out for six days. And that's the longest wow. I've ever been without power. Okay. And it was October. It was late October. And the... the uh, temperature in my fish room started to drop slowly but fortunately by the time the power had come back on which was six days later the lowest it had gotten in my fish room was 65 degrees fahrenheit that's not bad at all yeah that's not bad at all not only did i not lose my endlers or any other fish for that matter i remember with shock when the lights went back on even my little teeny weeny killifish babies they were all still alive. What do you? Uh, I, I can't remember. You don't. You don't heat every tank, right? Do you heat your room, no. or is it just you just let it be whatever no. the normal temperature you know what? is? The basement. Yeah. No. The basement. My basement is a finished basement, and it has baseboard heating. So that's why I don't have to heat every tank. I keep my my basement at around seventy four, okay, seventy five degrees Fahrenheit. I only have heaters in a few tanks that are either near cold areas where like where there's a draft or like I have one tank that I have young panda warus in there and they need it really warm. So I have to have a heater in there to keep it at like 82. Mm. But other than that, yes, I don't use very many heaters. Maybe out of 60 tanks, maybe I've got five or six heaters going. Uh, so, so in I guess in the twenty eight years, have you ever just kind of walked around your fish room and been like, "Man, I still have these endlers, huh?" And then you feed them and you move <laughs> on. Like, is it? Yeah, yeah. You well, know, let me tell you something. Now you just reminded me. Let me just tell your listeners how I keep them. Uh, like I said, I have two ten gallon tanks. They're next to each other, right? And the temperature in their tanks is whatever the room temperature is seventy four to seventy five. Each tank has two box filters, one in each corner, and the box filters have crushed coral and filter floss in them. But here's the key thing, in my opinion, that makes these fish happy. The tanks are full, wall to wall, full of 
nagas, mm. uh, which is a plant yeah. that goes by the name of guppy grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's probably why you, when you were in my fish room, Randy, you didn't even see them or <laughs> notice them because the tank is wall-to-wall, chock-a-block full of this nagas. And I, I think they really go, you know, go well with that. The, the babies have places to hide. The babies have uh, plants to pick on microorganisms or whatever. And the main food I give them is newly hatched brine shrimp. They get a feeding of that almost every day. And in addition to that, I sometimes give them a, a fine powdered food or very, very, very small pellets or finely crushed flake food. Other than that, they, I never give them frozen food. I never give them any live food other than baby brine shrimp. So that tank never gets contaminated with any worms or other mm-hmm. organisms that could bring in disease. Like I said, I've never, ever added anybody else's endlers to the tank. I've never had any disease break out in the tank. I've never had ick. I've never had any problem with these fish, whatever. I mean, they're amazing. It's an amazing little fish. Um, And uh, the only thing I've discovered over the years is that, unlike that night in Dominic's fish room when I first saw them, I realized they're not exactly identical. Every male isn't exactly like the other. Enough, you know, when you look at them really closely and study them intently, you realize they're not exactly the same. But when you first look at them, especially from a distance, they do give you that impression that they that the males all look alike, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so but uh, but that's all there is to keeping them. There's no heater in the tank. There's no super filtration. There's no you know, I don't do any thing extraordinary i do you know my periodic water changes nothing extravagant um and i uh keep the i guess i keep the population in check by giving giving them away from time to time some of them you know you know there's uh i've had a couple tanks one of my first uh, 20 longs where i was uh, I, i had a group of uh guppies and cherry shrimp um i got a piece of guppy grass where did i get it from i think i think maybe at one of the club auctions uh, but this mm-hmm. guppy grass, I mean, it just it just loved this twenty long, and it just took over. And so every two months, I'd have to go in there and do a massive cull of the guppy grass <laughs> itself. And yeah. I mean, but but yeah. to be truthful though, like that, just letting an entire twenty long just get taken over by guppy grass was not the best for like the viewability for for me to yes. view cherry shrimp, yes, for me right. to view the guppies. <laughs> but as far as like just being such an amazing organic natural filtration for that tank and being so much cover for the guppies like it was it's phenomenal so um, i think i've given it to a couple different people i've I've given like massive bags of guppy grass to people um i think a couple of them for some and this is one of those funny things where like for me it grew like a weed but for a couple people they just weren't able to to have it propagate for some reason um i think Corey, Mm -hmm. i think Corey, he's got i want to say what he has in his in his totes right now in his youtube videos i want to say that's that's from me um so i'll probably have to get Uh i'll probably have to get a couple pieces back um but if you could throw in a couple pieces of your guppy grass too so that way i can uh i can restart growing that again because i I don't know i don't know if i i can do that randy oh is that i only have about 17 tons you know (laughs) 
Well, that's <laughs> dude. That's what I was telling people. Like, oh, you want guppy grass? I will give you a five gallon Home Depot bucket of guppy grass. Oh, you killed yeah. it? No problem. Yeah. I'll have more in a month. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, like, like I got I you. Have it not, I, yeah, I have it not only in their in their tank, of course. I've got it in some other tanks, including like like you were saying in, in what you were talking about. Remind. I've got a forty gallon breeder that has a, a colony of wild green swordtails. And yeah, I have to go in there periodically and rip out handfuls of this stuff or there won't be any room for the swordtails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, well, they'll naturally, what they, what they would probably do is just naturally like decrease that length of the sword just so they can navigate through the guppy grass. <laughs> like they would have, it would have that adverse effect on, uh, on your swordtail breeding. <laughs> Maybe that would be a bad thing because these green swordtails are humongous and they have gigantic swords you know and it'd be a shame if that happened but they it is great for hiding the babies though i mean if i didn't have that guppy grass in with these sword tails i don't know if i would have quite as many babies survive you know um but uh yeah no guppy grass and endlers that's a that's a winning combination in my opinion (laughs) you know 20 28 years proof is in the pudding right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, you know, like I said, sometimes, you know how this is, Randy, in life, you, you sometimes take things for granted. And then something happens that makes you realize, no, 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 what you have is, you know, special, and you should appreciate it. And it's funny, it, it took these people that these strangers from one, you know, one from New Jersey, and one from California, to make me uh, realize Oh my God, you know, and then uh, corresponding with with Doctor Endler, that that was fantastic. Mm. That that was just, you know, something I, I had never even conceived of doing, and then to be met with such a warm reception by a guy who's an obvious first class gentleman uh, was very very rewarding. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I think actually I'm I'm remembering. I want to say when I came to visit you, I think that guy from New Jersey with his kid, because I remember you telling me that you recently had that guest, right? I think he, he didn't he go into yes. your fish room like maybe a week or two yes, before I showed up? <laughs> it was incredibly, yeah, because yeah, I remember it was you. around the same time. I remember you it shared that with me, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and look, he's selling the fish online, which, you know, God bless him, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I, I have I have no problems uh, with people selling fish. I mean, just because I don't doesn't mean anything, you know, uh, I'm all for it. You know, whatever floats your boat, do it. Um, that, that's why when I was listening to your talk the other day, uh, the one that you had with, uh, Dr. Ted Coletti, who, as you know, is, is a good friend of mine. Uh, and he was talking about hybrids and things like that and that how some people hate them and whatever. Now I personally don't have hybrids, but I agree with Ted. I don't I don't have any problems with people who like to produce hybrids. If that's their thing and, and they like doing it, they should do it. I mean, this hobby has room for everybody. And if you like tech, if you like gadgets and you're a gadget guy, great, do it. If you like producing hybrids, great, do it. Whatever keeps you involved in this wonderful hobby, I'm all in favor of it. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can, you can specialize, you can generalize. I mean, you can, you can do so many things in this hobby. It is, yeah. it, it is really mind boggling just, you know, yes. where so you can, many... yeah, yes. where you can go. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it has so many facets to it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I've met a lot of people over the years and I'm always amazed by people who are specialized in things. You know, me, I'm not, I, as, I'm not specialized in anything. <laughs> That's why I don't, I don't know that much about any one thing because I have a little of this, a little of that, you know, whatever. Uh, but people, you know, that you've had on your show, for example, who specialize in, let's say, catfish or live bearers or whatever it is, rainbow fish, they they have a tremendous wealth of knowledge that people like me can learn from, you know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's fun. It's the whole, the whole hobby is just a lot of fun. And there's so many, so many, so many great people out there. And, um, you know, I hope I can just do my part to, to, you know, bring some of those people that don't normally get a larger platform and, and hopefully be able to just share that story like with you. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be at a point where I'll be like, Hey Joe, this is your 20th time on the podcast. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's see what else you got going on. And hopefully, hopefully between there, I can get back out to Long Island and all this COVID thing settles down and, yeah, um, yeah, I, I'd love to have you back out, and uh, you know, um, yeah, when this thing settles down, because you know, one of the things I miss, like everybody else, I miss the socializing with my friends and going to aquarium society events. You know, I, I was so, uh, you know, disappointed we had to cancel the, the Northeast Council convention, which would have been this weekend coming. Mm-hmm. You know, on the on the whatever this weekend is, the 17th through the 19th, you know, and, uh, but I, I just hope everybody stays well and safe. And like you said, when this is over, we're all, you know, going to get back to, uh, having fun with other people. And in the meantime, you know, listening to your podcast, it's a real lifeline. Because, uh, <laughs> when I, when I, I listen, you know, like when I listen to you interviewing my friends, like Richard Pierce or Ted Coletti, you know, it's really great. I love I love listening to these programs and then listening to new people, people I've never met, you know, that you've had on your show. And um, it, it, it's it's almost like I had them in, in my in my uh, fish room and I was talking to them, except it's you. <laughs> well, them, well, you know? well, I mean, that's just one more point of inspiration for me and to uh, and to keep me going. Joe, I appreciate it. Um what, what was I going to ask you? Uh, what So uh, how dialed in are your fish tanks right now, though, since you've been under uh, quarantine in the house? How what are my fish how, tanks? How dialed in, like how clean, how well maintained oh. now? <laughs> <laughs> how much how much maintenance have you put in? Well, you know, I mean, you know, you do learn a lot. You <laughs> learn that, for example, the fish are very happy when you feed them, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it has allowed me to go around and, and uh, pick out little problems here and there and fix them and you know um uh, because i now have the time since i'm working from home um and uh and and i'm not you know coming home tired and, and all of that from work and uh i i think mostly the tanks are, are looking really good um I, i'm very happy with the way things are right now in most of my tanks uh had a couple of problems here and there uh, but nothing that a water change and cleaning out, uh, the filters didn't solve, you know, um, so it, it's good. And also I've done a lot of reading. I catch up on my reading and cause you know, I'm, I'm into all this historical stuff. And every time I read something from, let's say 50, 60 years ago, I discover something else, some other connection that I didn't know about, you know? 
Um, and, uh, you know, and that's how I just, in fact, just by coincidence, just the other day, I was reading an old magazine, uh, the Aquarium Journal that used to be published by the San Francisco Aquarium Society. And I was reading a back issue from the 60s. And the article was basically about Dr. Kalman hmm. and some experiments he was doing with sword tails. And I go, wow, look at that. How do you, how do you pick, how do you pick from your collection of, uh, of all your old magazines and publications? Like where do you, cause what, what, you've got like six bookcases that are all packed with these <laughs> old publications. Like yeah, how do you even begin? Like, Hmm, I'm like, do you just randomly close your eyes, spin around and like wave your finger around and then just kind of land on something just or about. <laughs> Just about, Randy. You just about described the process. Fun to see you do it. That's what I do. I just go up and down the bookcase, and then it's like, uh, you know, one of those uh, those you know things you see at the carnival. You know, where the, you shoot the duck and it turns around. You know, uh, yeah. I just go, man. Let me try this one. You have know? you have you read anything recently from I don't know a couple decades ago, three, four, five decades ago, where it's like, man, I can't believe they thought that, or I can't believe that was a prevalent kind of idea or um, you know method. Any, any anything like that that really caught your eye? Like, ah, geez, that's crazy. Well, let me tell you, this Colin article caught my eye because uh, talk about you know this is what he was doing. He was experimenting with sore tails, right? He was growing. Now you know, you know where the sword on the sword tail is, right? On the tail, on mm. the caudal fin. He was growing a sword on the side of the body. <laughs> just okay. Did he just it, get like a mute? He had one mutation and then just ran with it. No, or? no. He was like a transplant. Like what? he was transplanting. <sighs> these swords to see what would happen if they were on the side of the fish as opposed to on the caudal fin. And there's a photograph. Uh, and it's like, oh my God, this is like a Frankenstein fish. Oh my God. You know, but he was doing important, I guess, genetic research and other things. And he wanted to see what would happen with, with this transplanted sword, you know? But when I, so I'm reading, you know, when I saw that, I said, well, I never knew that, I, uh, you know, that that he had done these kinds of experiments back back in the 60s when, you know, and uh, yeah. But when I yeah, when I do read these magazines, yeah, there are occasions when I say, uh, oh, wow, look at this or, oh, th they were selling this fish back then or. Uh, oh, look at this. Look at this ad for this company. Oh, they were making this hilarious product or, you know, whatever. Um, what was the, the what, was, what was the one product where it was like you plug it in like underwater? Like there was some there was some crazy thing that you have where it's just like so asinine. There's like metal wires exposed and you plug them into an outlet and isn't was it like a heater or a filter? There was, oh there was something crazy like that where it just seemed yeah. like so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't right now off the top of my head, Randy. I, all right, I maybe maybe I made it, it but, up. I don't uh, know. Yeah, but they used to make all kinds of you know because back in the day, it, it, there were a lot of these little mom and pop operations, uh, and and you know so you would have all these different little companies making gadgets and making food, uh, different fish foods. You know they weren't big operations like they are now. Um, or they, you know, so, 
you would see a lot of unusual things uh, from time to time in these old magazines. And, uh, you know, some of these things caught on and some didn't. Uh, but, um, you know, you know, like there was the famous, for example, I, I don't know why this popped into my head, Randy, but there was a famous pump back in the day. It was called the Silent Giant. Okay. And it was a vibrator pump. And it was an interesting, you know, it was a white case and it, you know, it was about a foot tall. The Silent Giant. And, it, you know, its claim to fame was that it didn't make a loud vibrating noise. Well, one day I decided that. Uh, it wasn't working right, so I was going to repair it. Now, I was used to repairing vibrator pumps. They're not that complicated, you know. I never worked on a silent giant. Okay, so I opened it up. I wish I had never opened <laughs> it up, Randy, because all of a sudden, a whole bunch of gravel falls out. Oh, jeez. Gravel? What the hell? And then I I look in, and... I see a, a tin can. <laughs> okay. What what this guy had done, whoever came up with this silent giant is they had put all the diagrams and everything inside a tin can and then surrounded it with gravel. Oh, regular geez. number three, regular number three quartz gravel, not some high tech lunar, uh, you know, uh, material or anything. And apparently the idea was, and it worked, so I give the guy credit, whoever it was, this gravel surrounding the tin can kept the vibration down, you see? Yeah, yeah. But if you didn't know what you were doing, and which included me, you, you, it was not a good idea to try to fix these things on your own because, you know, you, you had to know how to take this tin can out and, you know, then you had to put pack the gravel back in, you know. But can you imagine? And this thing is still among us old timers. It is still a revered air pump, the silent giant. You know, <laughs> I mean, I have a few in my fish room on exhibit. You know, I don't I don't use them anymore, of course. But, you know, but here it was. Some guy came up with the idea of putting it in a tin can, you know, a regular tin can like your 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 peaches and your pears and your fruit cocktail comes in and then surrounding it with regular number three gravel. Amazing, you know. <laughs> oh really? goodness! I wonder if, um, since you're talking about kind of like fads and phases, and just kind of seeing what was what was a uh, commonplace throughout these magazines in a different time in, in a time period, I wonder uh -huh. if, um, like the so the the black soldier fly larva, right? Like I know that there's a lot yes. of um, sustainability. There, they they do point to some nutritional benefits. I wonder if if that's I wonder if that's just if that's going to have staying power. It's very popular right now. They're they're making it in flesh. Yeah, they're yeah, making it in granule form. There's a lot of right, a lot of companies right. are including this in their in their fish foods. I wonder if this is something that will that will stay, or you know, if in ten years we'd look back in a magazine from today and be like, oh man, remember when they're putting black soldier fly larvae in food? <laughs> I feed I feed it in my fish room, yeah, so I'm not I'm not knocking right, it. You know, that's a good observation. Uh, you know, from what I've seen, uh, you know, for example. In like in the uh, granular food was very popular. I mean, if you bought most fish food that you bought, and and I, you know, what was inside was little granular fish food. Then I don't know exactly when this happened, but sometime in the mid '60s or so, 
And especially with the advent of Tetramin from Germany, all of a sudden, flake food was all the rage. Everybody was getting on the flake food bandwagon, okay? And granular food, forget it. No, they hardly existed. And now it's come back to the point where many uh, new manufacturers and other fish uh, food companies, they're back to making a lot of pelleted food or granular food. I mean, yes, we still have flake food, but uh, pelleted food has become very popular once again. Yeah, you know? so it, it's funny you bring that up because uh, for Aquarium Co-op, um, we're, we're kind of actually shifting it back the other direction. So what we've really found is we've fallen in love with, and, I, and yeah, I don't need to plug it in this particular podcast episode. We, right. we've, we've really fallen in love with another um, another flake food, a krill flake food. And it's like the number one staple in my fish room. It's like the number one staple in Corey's fish uh-huh. room. And so, you know, just seeing our order, seeing our, our volumes of what we're moving, like this this flake food is, it's, you know, I, I think it's kind of giving a little bit more resurgence and it's definitely a premium offering because uh, the krill is the number one ingredient in it. Right. Um, but yeah, we're turning a lot of yeah. people back on. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, a Tetra Flake is like, three dollars for a giant jug on amazon or something incredibly inexpensive where this is more of a premium offering in showing people that you know you don't have to go to the pellet which pellets have been so dominant this past i don't know 10 20 years whatever it is um but now we're kind of you know shifting we're seeing it shift in our customer order uh customer ordering that this krill product this krill flake is just super popular sure i should send you some well you know except except for except for very large fish like large cichlids and, and bottom feeders like uh, uh, catfish, uh, I think flake food has a lot of advantages. And I, I was describing this one day to a gentleman who has a big uh, food distribution operation, and he was at the Northeast Council convention, and he makes very fine, sells very fine quality food, but it's mostly pellets. And I, and I was saying to him, you know, look, I said, the reason a guy like me likes to have flake food is because I have a lot of different kinds of fish. And with flake food, what's nice about it is you can change the size by grinding it between your fingers. If I want to give my Neolamprologus brichardi bigger flakes, okay, I just pour it out the way it's made. But if I want to give my Endler's guppies some of that flake food, well, I can, but I crush it between my fingers. So when it goes into the tank, it's very fine. And he said to me, you know, that's a good point. That That's a good point. I think we're going to have to look into making flake food. Yeah, I'm going to send so, you some. I'm going to send you some of the stuff that I like, Joe. Really? Yeah. Okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I'll yeah, I, I, I use a lot of different kinds of foods, you know, because I have a lot of different kinds of fish. But uh, you're going to love yeah, it. You're going to you're going to be mad at me because now your fish only want to eat that. It's that good. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I, no, my fish, believe uh, me, they're, they're not going to get spoiled because I won't let them. You know, that's, <laughs> that's one of my rules of, of with my fish keeping, by the way. It's like you got to eat my food and you got to like my water. And if you don't like my food and you don't like my water, you're going to have to find a home elsewhere. Now, to, okay? to be fair, you, you, you say that, but you've also fed those endlers baby brine shrimp for like 28 years. So, or 20. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do we say? 28 yes, years? Yes. Yeah. That's, yes. that, that, that's a spoiled, that's a spoiled fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, don't forget, I have to 
you know, because yeah. I'm a Killyfish guy, yeah. I have to hatch out baby brine shrimp all the time uh, because that's one of my key uh, ingredients in breeding killifish. And I've got to have baby brine shrimp. And uh, so as long as I'm hatching it out for the killifish, I might as well give it to them because yeah. they are small fish. And the babies that are hiding in the Najas, by putting live brine shrimp in there, you know, they can hunt it down at their own pace and find it hiding in the nooks and crannies of the Najas. So I think that's, you know, I got that from killifish breeding. You know, when you, when you breed killifish in a natural setup with a lot of plants, you're going to get fried, but it helps if you put baby brine shrimp in there. So I just took a killifish strategy and used it for these endlers right from the get-go. Um, and uh, it works. Yeah. It works. Uh, what can I tell you? What's your, uh, what's your but, guess, Joe? How many, how, many, how many pounds of brine shrimp have you hatched out in your lifetime? <laughs> what's, your, what's your swag? A couple hundred pounds? <laughs> At least? Oh, my God. What You come up with the most unbelievable I'm just cur- I'm just curious. I mean, if you've been in the hobby <laughs> since you were a kid, and, you you know, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure when you started hatching out brine shrimp, but... I mean that's yeah, that, that's got to be just a pallet. You probably hatched up. You yeah. probably hatched out half of Greater Salt Lake, uh, the the <laughs> lake. <laughs> well, you know, um, you know when I when I talk about killifish to people, um, I always tell them that you know killifish people are very low tech, okay, uh, and uh, but and that's why like the American Killifish Association doesn't get some of the commercial sponsorships that other national organizations get because killifish people, to tell you, to be bluntly, frankly <laughs> honest, they don't, they're not big spenders. Do you know okay? who, do you yeah. know who should sponsor, who should sponsor the AKA is Stero- Sterilite, the company that makes those clear shoebox containers that y'all use. <laughs> Sterilite. That's who should be like your AKA, yeah, yeah. like platinum convention sponsor. but the only thing killifish people do spend money on is brine shrimp eggs Mm -hmm. that is like killy guys if they can't get their brine shrimp eggs (laughs) it's like an addict going through withdrawal man Uh i've seen it because you know the price sometimes fluctuates i can remember back in the early 90s when i was in charge of getting the brine shrimp eggs from my local killy club i could get them for like ten dollars for a, a one pound can would cost me ten dollars. That's fifty okay? bucks now, right? Isn't it like forty nine dollars oh, for yeah. a one pounder? Oh, and that's that's a great price. Fifty bucks. If you can get it for fifty bucks, that that's a great price because then you got to pay for shipping usually mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, but they've got to have even now, Randy in in the quarantine, they're calling me up, asking me <laughs> how they can get the brine shrimp. I've had guys come to my door, you know, I leave it in a paper bag <laughs> so they can pick it up because they can't go without their brine shrimp eggs. I'm telling you, the killy guys, they cannot go without them. No. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joseph, so, you're uh, a dealer. You're a, you're a brine shrimp egg dealer. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. If it was illegal, I'd be in trouble. Do you so so once you once you crack the can, right? You get a, you get a one pound can. Are you free? Are you freezing any of it? Or do you keep it at room temperature? Or are you just refrigerating? No, it? I keep it in a I keep it in the my fish room refrigerator. Okay. In inside a plastic bag. 
I mean, it comes with a resealable top, but I put that can inside a resealable, you know, Ziploc bag, and then I keep it in the refrigerator. Because I know that people, it seems like there's a lot of people and they're kind of all over the place as far as uh, what they do. I, uh, my personal, you know, I, when I get bulk brine shrimp eggs in, I will take probably, um, I'll, I'll divide it into quarters, right? So I'll take the, the, the 16 ounces, divide it into quarters as best as I can. I will vacuum seal three of those quarters, put those in the freezer, and then the other quarter I will put in like a, a screw lid Ziploc, which I freaking love those things, a screw lock Ziploc mm-hmm. round, uh, round container. And then that's what I will make my brine shrimp from until I run out. And then I have to crack one of the, the Ziploc sealed ones or the the uh, vacuum sealed ones from the freezer. And then okay. when I'm yeah. not, when I don't have it out, uh, the, the main Ziploc um, round container, I'll have it in the refrigerator. But I know some people just keep it at room temperature or they keep it in their fish room. And it, they, it, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wonder if anybody's actually done the scientific um, study of hatch rates when kept at room temperature, extended periods of time. Like I, I would assume it makes sense that it degrades, and I would assume that a company that sells brine shrimp would want you to err on the side of caution so you have a better experience. Right. Right. But I just wonder if anybody's yeah. actually put in the the scientific <laughs> method, long-term studies on uh, brine shrimp hatch rate. Yeah, I, I, I don't know to tell you the truth. I do know this because this comes up from time to time at our killifish meetings. We, you know, we do a roundtable discussion of different things, topics. And let me tell you, when we do brine shrimp, oh my God, 20 <laughs> guys in the room, 20 different ways, Randy, of doing it. And everybody has to take sides. No, don't reuse the water, you know, the salt water. Yes, reuse <laughs> the water from the ocean. It's much better. What are you crazy? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's unbelievable. The, the um, the, <laughs> the opinions and the emotion you get over this topic of how to what's the best way to hatch brine shrimp eggs. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's when you know you're pretty deep. That's when you know you're pretty deep in the oh, hobby yeah. when you're that's, having a heated you know a heated sick. a heated yeah. discussion about the proper method for uh, brine shrimp hatching and and whatnot and all the, oh, yeah. the, all that that encompasses. Oh yeah, look and look. Let me tell you, over the years, you know, like you said, I've read a lot of magazines. Okay. Uh, and I can't tell you, I, I used to keep an index, a box with index cards in it with, you know, different topics so that I could go back and find the particular issue of the magazine with that topic. Well, the number of index cards I had to use on how to hatch brine <laughs> shrimp would choke a hippopotamus. Okay. <laughs> there is so they're constantly, constantly writing articles about how to hatch brine shrimp constantly and everybody's got a different way and a different contraption i mean you could buy you know you can make a brine shrimp hatcher like i do from two two liter uh soft drink bottles you know which which cost you a whopping 10 cents or i've seen contraptions for sale that were like 60 dollars okay for hatching brine shrimp it's amazing that that alone one day you should have a bunch of guys on your podcast just to talk about bright shrimp hatching. It'll go on for five hours. <laughs> okay. Have you have you gone down the uh, YouTube rabbit hole of watching all the brine shrimp videos on YouTube? No, no you should. No. You should. Hey, you've got you've got time right now. You should uh, <laughs> go 
go down that rabbit hole, man. It's uh, it's crazy. And and from the the wholesale uh, the wholesale facilities and the farms that I've been to, uh, no no two farms do it the same. No two yeah, farms do it, it the same. Yeah, I've seen I've seen big giant round circular, you know, vats used. I've seen a uh, uh, upturned five gallon uh, water jugs. I've seen those used. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've you know Corey's shot videos of ultra high tech uh, setups in Israel. Um, it's it's incredible. I mean, there's a, there's a million ways to to hatch a brine trip, I guess. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no, it's a. It's quite an interesting topic amongst us uh, fish nuts. That's for sure. Uh, oh goodness! All right. Anyway, well, well, Joe, this has been this has been phenomenal, man. I think we'll just uh, I think we'll leave it at, uh, at crazy people hatching brine shrimp and uh, call this right. an episode. This has been fantastic, Joe. Uh, just hearing Thanks, about Randy. hearing about your twenty eight years of the same the same batch group group, I guess the same group of, yeah, of yeah. endlers that came from Doctor Endler. Wow. Yeah, they're all descended from that those twenty fish or twenty twenty four fish, whatever mm-hmm. it was, that Dominic gave me back in nineteen ninety two. And again, you know, you know if Dr. Uh Edler gave them to Don Rosen, who's a scientist, he didn't mix them up with anything. Dr. Kalman was another fanatic, so you know they stayed pure with him. And Dominic God bless him, was the biggest fanatic of all when it came to purity. So, and I've tried to emulate Dominic and keep mine totally pure, like I said, to the point where I don't even put uh, endlers that I gave to people back with my population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, well, you know, when this so, is uh, when this all blows over and you're able to uh, to to send some to me, I hope I can do my part and uh, and spread those around yes. to people and deal. you know, just keep it going, man. That's that's awesome and it's a deal. Yep. I'll, and I'll get you some krill oh, 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 krill flake. Yeah, I'll get you some krill flake in the mail too. <laughs> all right. It's, all right. Wait, it's extreme listen, krill flake. Everybody knows. Pleasure. People listening knows. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, Joe. All right. Well, this has been awesome, it's been man. It's uh, I know it's a uh, evening for you. Give my best to Anita. I uh you know, Thank I can't. You. I can't wait to see you both again in person. All right, and we'll talk again soon. Same okay. Here. All right, Joe. Thank you take you, Randy. take care, Thank sir. Thank you. Take care. Bye, bye.